Matchbook presents First Years, a podcast for all but geared toward adult first-time readers of Harry Potter, who need a space to enjoy each book and have adult conversations about it. My name is Sarah, and I'm honored that you've allowed me on this journey with you. Crack open a butterbeer, grab a seat, and let's discuss. Today we're going to talk about wands. One quick note is that the Hufflepuffs are creeping in closer to the Slytherins as far as house points go, so reminder that if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening on, and if you leave your name and Hogwarts house, you'll earn a shout-out on here as well as house points toward a house cup. Also, please follow us on our social media at First Years Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be hosting some extra challenges to win house points on there, as well as sharing our thoughts and getting to know you guys. For today's episode, you need to have read through Chapter 5 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, slash Philosopher's Stone. We finally get introduced to what the wizarding world looks like in this chapter, when Hagrid takes Harry away from the Muggles and into Diagon Alley to shop for his school supplies. We get to see potions, ingredients, books, animals, gringots, how the magical society functions day to day. We get to see it with hashtag no filter, full force wizarding perspective from their point of view. Sure, Harry is experiencing all of this for the first time, but he is a wizard, so he isn't shrugging things off like the muggles do. He's experiencing and taking everything in. Harry gets a taste of what he's been kept away from all these years. Not just magic, but fame. As soon as people realize who Harry is in the Leaky Cauldron, and he doesn't even say his name, Hagrid mentions Hogwarts business, and immediately the bartender recognizes Harry and, quote, the Leaky Cauldron had suddenly gone completely still and silent, unquote. Harry is a part of this world now, the one we were questioning last episode if it's good or bad due to the owl representation. And speaking of last episode, you remember where I spoke about how, like owls, wizards lived out of reach of the muggles but really right beside them? We see that in action in this chapter. The Leaky Cauldron is the connection between the muggle world and the magical one. Muggles literally skip over it when they're passing by. And to fully enter Diagon Alley, Hagrid taps the bricks in the wall out back. And the, I guess you can call it a portal, opens up to reveal this incredible world that Harry has never known, but which has known him since he was only a year old. This chapter is all about Harry experiencing this world for the first time. Learning how the bank works, buying everything he needs for school, getting a pet, his robes, books, etc. And the final thing he gets is his wand. Which is a staple of wizards, really. Magic wands tend to be associated with the archetype of wizards, or anyone who does magic, really. It's one of the first things we think of associated with them. And in this series, too, it's an important part of doing magic, and it almost becomes part of a wizard's identity, really. Ollivander says that the wand chooses the wizard, and he has a plethora of different wands in his shop. With three different core possibilities, several different wood types and wand lengths, each wand is unique in its design. Different ones can be good for different types of magic and assimilate with different personalities. The wizards and their wands really become one together. You can think of it like a car, like your first car. 
The one you learned to drive on and then took to school and shuttled your friends illegally after hours in. Mine was a stick shift Volkswagen Golf that I named Gandalf. Yes, that's right, and it gets better. In the wintertime, I would dress it up like a reindeer, and then his name would change to Myth Reindeer. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Anyway, my point is that with your first car, it becomes a big part of your identity. You learn how to use it, and it's during a part of your life that enables you more freedom. And so it can be an emotional thing when you finally have to get rid of it. The same goes for wands, although wizards don't usually part with them as often as you might think. So Harry gets his wand, taking his first step into becoming a fully-fledged part of this world. J.K. Rowling provides some information about wands and wand lore on wizardingworld.com, written by Ollivander himself, and goes over different wand cores and woods. Let's check out some information on them. So, cores first. Ollivander uses three different kinds, unicorn hair, dragon heartstring, and phoenix feather. Unicorn hair produces the most consistent magic, it doesn't fluctuate, and is the most difficult to turn into a wand suited for the dark arts. It tends to be the most faithful of cores and have a strong attachment to their first owner. They might not make for the most powerful wands, but that can be outweighed by the wand wood. They are also prone to melancholy if they are mishandled, and it says that the hair may die and need replacing. Dragon heartstring produces the most powerful wands. They tend to learn more quickly than other types of wands, and they tend to be the easiest to turn to the dark arts, but won't incline that way on their own. They can also be temperamental, and so are the most prone to accidents. Phoenix feathers are the rarest core type and are capable of the greatest range of magic, although it says that they might take longer than the other types to show this. They also show the most initiative, sometimes acting on their own accord. They're also the pickiest when it comes to potential owners, because the phoenix is one of the most detached and independent creatures in the world. They are the hardest to tame and personalize, and allegiance tends to be hard won. So these are the only cores that Ollivander uses, and he puts them into several different types of wandwood, and they vary in length as well. There's too many different wandwood types to go over here, so I want to focus on the wands mentioned in this chapter in the exchange between Harry and Ollivander. Harry's mother, Lily, had a wand that was ten and a quarter inches, swishy, made of willow, and Ollivander states that it was good for charm work. We don't know what the core of hers is, but we can look at what Ollivander says about willow. Willow wood is an uncommon wand wood that has a healing power, and it has a reputation for enabling advanced nonverbal magic. Its ideal owners have great potential and often have insecurities that are unwarranted, but they might try to hide them. He also states that willow wands don't select people who don't think they have a lot to learn. So it seems to me that they want owners who are open-minded and aren't cocky about their abilities. James, Harry's dad, had a wand that was 11 inches, made of mahogany, and it was pliable. Ollivander says it had a little more power and was excellent for transfiguration magic, a subject we'll learn more about at Hogwarts. Oddly enough, mahogany is not listed on Ollivander's page on Wandwoods on Joe's site. So I did a little searching myself on what mahogany represents, and it seems to be a wood that is a symbol of strength. It's also known as a wood of protection, and people say that it can withstand lightning strikes. So perhaps those with mahogany wands are people who have an inner strength and are a protector of others. And we may not know their cores, but we do know Harry's, and we do know Voldemort's. 
Voldemort had a wand made of yew with a phoenix feather core. It was 13 and a half inches, and yew is one of the rarer wandwoods, and their ideal owners are usually also unusual and occasionally notorious. They are assumed to give their owners the power of life and death, although Ollivander notes here that this can be said of all wands. Remember what we said last episode about the duality of wizards and magic? This seems to prove our point. He says that those who use yew wands aren't more likely to turn to the dark arts than others, but that they do have a fearsome reputation in the spheres of dueling and curses. However, he makes the point that yew wands have been found just as many times in the hands of heroes as they have in villains. Yew wands never choose a mediocre or timid owner. So we've learned a little more about Voldemort here. He's got a rarer wand type, both in wood and core type, and probably matched it personality-wise. And because he had a yew wand, we know he probably was a powerful wizard, which you'd need to be in order to be feared by an entire community throughout the world. And although Ollivander says that yew wands aren't more prone to the dark arts than other wands, we know which way Voldemort went, and something tells me his wand would wasn't a coincidence. Harry's wand is 11 inches, made of holly and phoenix feather, and is supple. But before we get into that, what might we be able to learn about Harry through his parents' wands? Almost like genetics, I guess, which I suppose could be argued for since magic is passed on genetically. Based on her wand, Lily was probably good at charms and had the potential for high-level magic. Nonverbal magic tends to be something more experienced wizards accomplish. But remember that there tends to be insecurities found in those with willow wands. James's wand is a little more powerful than Lily's and is excellent for transfiguration, which honestly is a tough form of magic to excel at. And mahogany represents strength and protection. So Harry, based on this, might end up being someone with a lot of talent and potential, probably someone who is good at protecting others because willow wands tend to have healing powers and mahogany is a symbol of protection. Hagrid says in chapter four that, quote, your mom and dad were as good a witch and wizard as I ever knew. Suppose the mystery is why you-know-who never tried to get him on his side before, probably knew they were too close to Dumbledore to want anything to do with the dark side, unquote. James and Lily were talented enough that Voldemort might have wanted them on his side. That is a big deal. But they were too good to ever join him. Hagrid is speculating here that maybe Voldemort knew that already, and so he went after them. Possibly to try and persuade them, or possibly to just get rid of them. Ollivander writes that Holly is another type of rare wand wood and is traditionally considered protective. Hey, look at that. And you're gonna have to take my word on this that I swear I wrote the paragraph speculating about Harry after analyzing James and Lily's wands before looking at the Holly description. And this was interesting. He states that they work happily for those who may need help overcoming a tendency to anger and impetuosity and tend to choose owners who are engaged in a dangerous and often spiritual quest. Which, okay, we kind of knew because Harry is our main character and this plotline goes on for seven books, so clearly he's going to be on a quest of some sort, right? Holly wands tend to vary dramatically in performance based on its core. And Ollivander says that it's very difficult to pair with Phoenix Feather, but that in the unusual event that they are paired together and they find an owner, nothing and no one should stand in their way. All of this makes sense for Harry. It's a rare wand wood and core, and he is rare in and of himself. 
being the boy who lived through a killing curse no one has survived before. He has a lot of expectations put on him by the wizarding world because of not only who he is, but what he's done without knowing it. And it seems like he's going to have something to overcome within himself as well, with the detail of Hollywands being perfect for those who need to overcome anger or impetuosity. And I wonder if this is the protective side of Hollywands, that they want to help their owners work through personal stuff in order to be the best they can be. Wands can't talk or communicate with their owners, but perhaps they help nudge their owners to work through things while they grow into their magic? Especially perhaps to help Harry while he's on his quest throughout this series. Ollivander talks about how Phoenix Feather cores are capable of the greatest range of magic, but that it might take longer than other cores to reveal this, which might tie into whatever Harry has to work through personally. And we can't talk about wands without talking about the giant phoenix in the room here. The fact that Harry and Voldemort share phoenix feather cores from the same bird. Ollivander says, and I'm sorry, it sounds so much better coming from John Hurt in the films, but he says, quote, It is very curious indeed that you should be destined for this wand. When its brother, why its brother gave you that scar, unquote. Another way Voldemort, although gone, is present in Harry's life. First from the impact of taking his parents away from him, and now in the same wand core. He also says that, again, sorry, John Hurt says this better, quote, I think we must expect great things from you, Mr. Potter. After all, he who must not be named did great things. Terrible, yes, but great. Unquote. Even Ollivander adds to the layer of expectation for Harry, who reflects on the way home, quote, Everyone thinks I'm special, but I don't know anything about magic at all. How can they expect great things? Unquote. And Hagrid responds, quote, Don't you worry, Harry. You'll learn fast enough. Everyone starts at the beginning at Hogwarts. You'll be just fine. Just be yourself. I know it's hard. You've been singled out, and that's always hard, but you'll have a great time at Hogwarts. I did. Still do, as a matter of fact." Unquote. And after all of this, Harry has to go back home after experiencing the world he's meant to be a part of for the first time in his life. But he has his wand now, and can officially call himself part of this world, and it brings all of the expectations that come along with it. Harry's journey as a wizard has officially begun. I thought it might be fun to share with you the details of my wand, so you can get to know me a little bit more, just like we did with Harry just now. You can find out your wand at wizardingworld.com, the same place I've gotten the information on wands I've spoken about today, and the same place you can find out your Hogwarts house if you haven't done so yet. My wand is nine and three quarters inches, which is amazing, and you'll find out why in the following chapter. It's made of hawthorn with a unicorn hair core and has slightly springy flexibility. We already know about unicorn cores, but hawthorn as a wand would, Ollivander quotes Grigorovich, who is another wand maker, who states that they, quote, make a strange contradictory wand as full of paradoxes as the tree that gave it birth whose leaves and blossoms heal, and yet whose cut branches smell of death." 
unquote. Ollivander says he agrees with Grigorovich about hawthorn wands, calling them complex and intriguing in their natures, just like the owners who best suit them. They can be particularly suited to healing magic, but are also adept at curses. They seem to have a home with a conflicted nature or with a witch or wizard passing through a period of turmoil. It's apparently not easy to master and their owners need to have a proven talent. Otherwise, the consequences could be dangerous. Their spells, when not handled correctly, can backfire. For me, the paradox thing definitely applies. <laughs> I've always been someone who has many different interests and they don't necessarily all go together cohesively. For example, I was the girl in high school who would go into Abercrombie to get clothing and then immediately walk across the corridor in the mall to head straight into Hot Topic to buy more clothing. So that's me in a nutshell for sure. One of my interests that I want to touch on because I couldn't stop thinking about it in regards to this episode is tarot reading and the suit of wands. For those of you who don't know, tarot cards are used as a form of divination to give insight into a situation or someone's life to help them grow and move forward. The deck is broken up into the major arcana and the minor arcana, and within the minor arcana there are different suits, and one of them is the suit of wands, or rods. There are different names for different suits, it all depends on what kind of deck you're using. But the suit of wands relates very much to energy either having it or not having it. It can also relate to creativity or thinking, planning, and sometimes it can relate to protection. For example, I have a certain card that for me means protecting what you've accomplished so far in a situation. But the suit is also connected to the fire element, which is an energy in and of itself and can also help or hurt people. When we think about how we say someone has a fire burning within them, it tends to mean they're very passionate about something or fired up you know? And it tends to be the same with magic. It's inside wizards and they control it using a wand. For example, when Harry has weird stuff happen to him, like ending up on the roof or growing his hair back or shrinking that sweater that he doesn't want to wear, it's his magic coming out unpredictably because it's not controlled. It just happens. And he gets his wand to start his schooling at Hogwarts to be able to channel his magic his energy, into something that allows him to use it to do things. In tarot, this suit can show how someone is using their energy or not using it, or can show that they don't have any. And it's cool to think about how that relates to wizards and their own wands, which allow them to tap into their own power and energy and use it in whatever way they want or need it. Now we want to hear more about you through your wands. Reach out to us with your wand info on Twitter or Instagram at firstyearspod, and you can always email us at firstyearspodcast at gmail.com to let us know your thoughts about what you've heard or read so far, your own predictions or comments on what we've discussed, anything. We want to hear it, so please let us know. Another reminder to pretty please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening on, and if you leave your name in Hogwarts House in your review, you will win house points as well as a shout out on here. Sources I've used can be found in the show notes. And until then, happy reading. First Years is a production of Matchbook. It's produced by Quinn Parker and myself, Sarah Jones Dittmeyer. Sources for this episode can be found at author info forward slash first years podcast. That's Sarah with an H, and Dittmeyer is spelled D-I-T-T-M-E-I-E-R. Special thanks given to, of course, J.K. Rowling, who is the author of our main source, Harry Potter. <laughs>